Coming to you from high above 107 Columbia Street in the heart of uptown downtown Albany. Today, both our eyes are fixed firmly on the last bits of leftover from our wonderful turkey dinner last Thursday. I hope you all had a wonderful time. We certainly did. Today, we're going to be discussing the issues of bail jumping in flight and how they intersect with each other in the prosecution of cases. So let's get started. When a defendant flees his or her home or place of business after committing a crime, evidence of this conduct at trial is known as flight. The courts have consistently noted that such evidence is considered the weakest form of evidence. Defense attorneys will often request a flight charge so the jury will understand that such evidence is not overly significant because even innocent people will flee when accused of a crime they did not commit. The CJI jury charge includes the following phrase, I instruct you the proof of conduct evincing consciousness of guilt has slight value. Even with this charge available to the defense, evidence of a defendant's flight should not be overlooked by you, especially in situations where a defendant flees before he or she is arrested or charged. People v. Azum, Court of Appeals decision from 1963, is the cornerstone case for the use of flight evidence as consciousness of guilt. In this case, the people were properly permitted to introduce evidence of defendant's flight, despite the fact that the flight may have been motivated by something other than the present crime. When the defendant was arrested for an alleged robbery, he attempted to escape. The people were permitted to introduce this evidence at trial. The defense alleged that since the defendant was also being detained on an Ohio warrant for a parole violation, his motivations were at best equivocal. The defense contended that this situation made such evidence irrelevant in showing consciousness of guilt. The Court of Appeals held that the evidence was properly admitted, while acknowledging the attempted escape may have been motivated by the Ohio case, the court wrote that flight evidence is always ambiguous, and the fact that there was a spectrum of possibilities in this case was no different from what usually exists in a case where evidence of flight is introduced. The court wrote, The limited probative force of flight evidence, however, is no reason for its exclusion. The distinction between admissibility and sufficiency must be borne in mind. Flight is a form of circumstantial evidence and any circumstantial evidence to be sufficient in itself to sustain a conviction must be inconsistent with all reasonable hypotheses of innocence, but the admissibility of each piece of circumstantial evidence is subject to no such rule. Generally speaking, all that is necessary is that the evidence have relevance, that it tends to convince that the fact to be established is so, that it is equivocal, or that it is inconsistent with suppositions other than guilt, does not render it inadmissible. There are situations where, despite the jury charge, evidence of flight is very significant. When the defendant's flight commences with his or her knowledge of having become a suspect, the strength of the evidence is diminished by that CJI charge, which states, Common experience teaches that even an innocent person who finds himself placed under suspicion may instinctively or protectively resort to conduct which might create the appearance of guilt in order to avoid arrest or criminal prosecution. Thus, if an innocent purpose may be drawn from the evidence, you must disregard it completely. However, if you can establish that the defendant's flight took place before he or she became a suspect or before he or she would have known that he or she was a suspect, 
the effect of the evidence is greatly increased. Think of the strength of an argument to the jury that asks them to consider why the defendant would pick up and leave his or her life for no apparent reason other than the coincidence of the assault on the victim that previous day. Since the defendant did not become a suspect until after he or she fled, he or she cannot argue that the flight was only because they were an innocent person afraid of the system. The evidence of this type of flight will usually require the testimony of witnesses other than or in conjunction with the investigating detective who gives first-hand knowledge of the defendant's flight from his or her normal routine. The case of People v. Allen, a First Department decision that was affirmed by the Court of Appeals, the defendant and the deceased had been in the building where the defendant lived on the third floor. Witnesses had heard them engage in a number of loud arguments in or near her apartment minutes before the deceased was found dead on the stairwell between the second and third floors. In establishing the circumstantial evidence, the people were permitted to introduce evidence that before the death of the victim, the defendant had lived in the building uninterrupted for two or three years and that after the death, she did not return to the apartment for two and one-half months. Another example can be found in the case of People v. Singleton, a First Department case from 2013 where leave was denied by the Court of Appeals. The court wrote, The court properly received evidence relating to defendant's arrest in Maryland several months after the shooting for possession of an illegal knife. When stopped by the Maryland police, defendant gave false names, fled, and struggled violently with the arresting officer. This behavior could be interpreted as evincing a consciousness of guilt concerning the instant charges, and any ambiguity was for the jury to consider, and in this decision they cited Yazoom. The jury could have reasonably concluded that the defendant's conduct was primarily motivated by a fear of prosecution for the shooting rather than fear of prosecution for merely possessing a knife. Evidence that the defendant was on parole and stopped going to his parole officer immediately after the crime has been found admissible as consciousness of guilt in the case of People v. Winder, First Department case from 2007. The appellate division wrote, The court properly received evidence that defendant was on parole at the time of the crime and stopped reporting to his parole officer immediately thereafter, since this evidence was relevant to his consciousness of guilt. The court also properly admitted another reference to defendant's parole situation that provided necessary context for a statement he made that tended to establish his intent to rob the victim. This evidence remained probative of contested issues at trial, notwithstanding defendant's concessions with regard to some aspects of the case. Introducing evidence of flight can also be very helpful in establishing when the police were first attempting to locate the defendant and practically speaking when he or she first became a suspect. The police will often be the witnesses you need to establish that the defendant had fled the jurisdiction and whether he or she was aware that the police were looking for him or her. The practical and often unintended effect of such evidence may be to remove some of the jury's speculation about the time period between the time of the crime and the time of the arrest. While flight has been determined to be the weakest form of evidence. When a defendant takes flight after being charged and released on bail, this conduct is significant enough that the defendant may ultimately be charged with the crime of bail jumping. If the defendant flees after being indicted and arraigned, he or she may be charged with bail jumping in the first degree. 
In such situations, you should move for the underlying crime and the bail jumping charge to be joined for trial. The crime of bail jumping is not completed, however, until after 30 days have elapsed from the date the bail jumping warrant was first issued by the court. If the defendant is returned to the court before that time has elapsed, the defendant cannot be charged with bail jumping. The people are not required to prove a separate culpable mental state on the part of the defendant to make out a prima facie case of bail jumping. In the case of People v. Hodge, a First Department case from 2015, for which leave was denied by the Court of Appeals, the court wrote, The verdict was based on legally sufficient evidence and was not against the weight of the evidence. Contrary to defendant's argument, the people were never required to establish any culpable mental state. Accordingly, the court properly charged the jury on the elements of bail jumping in the second degree without specifying any required mental state, tracking the applicable section of the criminal jury instructions. Now, the court made a very interesting holding further where they held, insofar as the case of People v. Simpkins, First Department case from 1991, is to the contrary, it should not be followed. When calculating whether the 30-day period has elapsed, it's important for you to remember that the court has the right to stay the issuing of a bench warrant in situations where the defendant does not appear in court on a calendar date, but the defense attorney convinces the court that there is some exceptional circumstance to justify his or her lack of appearance and that the warrant should not be issued. In such cases, the judge will often say that he or she is issuing the warrant, but that it is stayed until, let's say, the next adjourned date that the court mentions. At that time, you basically have no issuing of a warrant. In the case of People v. Cooper, a court of appeals decision from 1999, the court said that this staying of the warrant means that in calculating for the 30 days, you do not count that date, even though subsequently a warrant is issued. When the warrant is actually issued is the date from which you start to calculate the 30 days and not the date from which the warrant was issued but stayed. Even if the underlying charge for the basis for the bail jumping is dismissed before the 30-day period has elapsed or after the time has elapsed but before the indictment is filed, the bail jumping charge remains viable and the defendant may be prosecuted for that crime. See the case of People v. Eiffel, a Court of Appeals decision from 1993. Folks, please be sure to take a look at the Flight and Bail Jumping Consciousness of Guilt memo in the Prosecutor's Encyclopedia. And also, as we've said, while this is considered weak form of evidence, don't overlook it in presenting the entirety of your case at trial. Our thanks, as always, to our crack producer and bounty hunter extraordinaire, Jonathan Marconi Crispino. To all of you out there, be well and stay ready, my friends. <laughs> <laughs>